if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's guest on Horse Chat is Johann Schlieser, who we've had on many times before. He's been our resident saddlery expert or saddle fitting expert. We've talked about types of saddles fitting, fitting for the horse and the rider, the benefits, what can go wrong. And I'm very happy to say that we're going to talk today about the most popular saddle pads. How are you today, Johan? Very well. Thank you for having us back, Lena. It's always fun talking to you and to your audience. And um, I'm excited to to spend some time with you. Look, I'm really happy to talk to you. Every time I talk to you, I just, you know, I have to go out and check my horse and just go, oh, is that correct? Is that not right? You know, because there's so many different things. And, and hopefully the listeners do too, you know, and count this as part of their education. Something to think about that it's something that not only helps the horse but helps them with their riding as well, this fit of, um, you know, fit of saddles. Mm-hmm. And we're talking today about the most popular saddle pads today. Is that right? That's correct. And I think it's um, a, a huge subject. As a matter of fact, one of the first ladies who wrote a book who was a veterinarian who talked about saddles was uh, Dr. Joyce Harmon. Mm-hmm. And she wrote an additional book about saddle fit just basically on pads because yeah. saddle pads is the number one product that people buy yeah. and just alone in the United States it's a product what is annual sold over 40 million dollars and people have in the bottom of their heart the feel something isn't right with my horse so I'm going to get a band-aid or saddle pad and sometimes it gets way worse so I think this topic today is absolutely brilliant yeah yeah look yeah before we start I just want to remind people about the vision of International Horse College which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people. If that sounds like you, you've got the same vision as International Horse College, then have a look at the website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Johan, one thing that, um, you know, because I've, I've spent a bit of time in the UK, and they often ride without pads. Now, they may, horses may not sweat the way that they do here, but do we need saddle pads at all? You know, I mean, is it just to absorb the sweat? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's an absolutely good question. Saddle pads, it's totally overrated. And as I said, many times they make a big mistake, even in Germany, areas where people don't ride saddle pads at all. The saddle pads only have a very, very simple function is to protect the leather from the sweat and the hair of the horse. Mm-hmm. So, yes, um, sometimes, like you said, horses sweat a lot, and we started to have a numna or saddle cloth. What takes the sweat and the hair, which is easier to wash in the washing machine than the whole saddle. But you're right. You, you really don't need a pad because the cushioning is in the stuffing. Okay, okay, good. Now, look, I've got 10 different types of saddle pads, which I think are the most popular. So, you know, everyone should be able to relate. And and at one time or another, I'm sure they would have used some of these, if not all. Can we talk about just individually, and you can tell me the pros and cons of each type of saddle pad? Is that okay with you? Yes, um, Glennis, I think what we should do is um, additional, it, it maybe changes a little bit how people see saddle pads. If I add uh, something quick uh, in addition to setup. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I, I'm just thinking about the the riser pads. If we can start off with that one, and you tell us because any additional information you've got, you know, coming from a professional, coming from someone who's sort of made it his life mission to make sure that horses are fitted correctly with saddles. I'm pretty excited. So everything, tell us the pros, cons, anything at all that we need to know about riser pads. And then I'm going to go down the list and you can tell us about each different type of saddle pad. I love that. I love that. Okay, so I want to start first with the riser pad. But before we go into the list, I like to challenge everybody with this one simple question. Could you, theoretically, could you wear a shoe without socks? In other words, 
you just go barefoot in your boots or in your skates or in your ski boots or in your any kind of a shoe. Theoretically, yes. A sock is much easier to put on in the shoe because it absorbs a little bit of friction, so it protects your foot a little bit from shaping, but your foot doesn't have hair around the entire foot like a horse's back has. So the horse's coat is what really takes care of it. And many, many people make a big mistake and clip underneath the saddle the entire coat off. Now, when you do that, you create massive problems on the horse's back. Now, you could say I'm a professional because I'm riding 20 horses. I have to hold them off. It's super hot here. That's fine. If you clip it, if you are clip the hair on the horse's back, then you must always ride with the saddle pad and not just one, two. And let me tell you why two. Because when you have one pad, it will stick to the little stopples, the clipped hair, like a Velcro. And when you take your hair you have on your head or on your arms, and you take the hair and pull it off, and then pull it back and forth and back and forth. That hurts. All the fair hair follicle will really burn. And as the organ, the largest organ on the horse is the skin, that is then under attack. So as a leading sentence to go into all these different paths and talk about it, number one, never clip under the saddle pad the horse tear. If you do do that, you got to have two bundle glue on to the hair, to the little stopples, like buckle, and the other one will stick to the saddle. When the horse sweats and the steam comes, that pad is then stick to the saddle. So if you have two pads, they wrap into each other, and you do not burn, shear, or cause this nasty irritation on the hair follicle and skin. So now I'm going to answer your question with the riser pad. The riser pad it's an additional saddle pad what goes in uh, between the saddle and the horse. Like the word says, it rises, raises the saddle. Now, they're really good ones, and there are some you have to be aware of it and be careful. Because when you buy a saddle um, and you become so involved with saddle fitting and you, you really love your saddle and it fits you well, Sometimes these rider pads, the riser pads, can do quite a bit of harm because they lift the front up to get the balance back. So sometimes the saddles are low. So they put a riser pad in the front, raises up the front. But you create a massive problem now. Why? Well, you made the tree way too narrow in the tree width from left to right. That's kind of back to the shoe story. Okay, you say, oh, my shoes are really wide. Mm or yeah, too wide, and you put pads in it, extra pads, the shoe gets tight. Okay, so, but it's most of the time when the pad or the extra sock takes up this space, either under the saddle or in the shoe, the human foot cannot roll up properly. You get blisters on the pinky, on the heel, and on the horse, the movement of the shoulder can't happen. If you say, oh, I don't care, my horse gets a hit with a stick, you got to smarten up. He's strong enough. He'll be okay. Okay. Riser pads have a second little nasty habit. They twist or break the tree. The tree is the frame of every saddle. And picture yourself a um, tennis racket. And the tennis racket has a frame around. And then it goes from left to right, top to bottom, all these strings. And this frame of the tennis racket is the same with the saddle tree. The saddle tree has a frame. So there's a hoop in the front of the withers, left and right of the spine, another hoop in the back, and then there's straining in the middle. So that's your average saddle tree. You can visualize that. Now, if you just raise the front up with the riser pad, or you raise the back up with the riser pad, the side bars, so the side frame, does not have contact now. That's where you sit. And then when you sit on it, it breaks. Now you have a saddle. Let's say you pay thousand dollars, three thousand, five, seven thousand dollars for a saddle. First, it twists, it warps, kind of like you take the tennis racket and hit it as hard as you can on the edge on the table. It's warped. All the strings are loose. All the webbing is loose, and then it goes snap. So the riser pads have the 
They're known as tree twisters and tree breakers. The horse will show it by stumbling. The good riser pads are thick in the front, if you want to lift the front, or thick in the back, if you want to lift the back. And then it runs from thick, very gradually, very small, thinner, 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 thinner to the top, all the way through. So the middle rails don't sit hollow, so that tree doesn't twist. And the most important part, they're individual. They're not one piece. They're two pieces, and they slide in a saddle pad with pockets, so there is no decrease over the horse's spine. There are 12 spinal nerves on the horse's back, and if you put any additional, any additional pads on the spine, it decreases the space that every English saddle has. That's called the channel. If that channel is too narrow, the spinal nerves, think about your funny bone on your elbow. You do not need a lot of pressure to get that little zing, that little pain all the way through your pinky. So there's 12 of those around the spine. And it relates to the SI joint, the sacroiliac joint, the lumbar joint. It hollows the back. Now, the good news is they go numb after 20 minutes. The bad news is you're written for 20 minutes with the horse's hollow, which causes potential kissing spine and other spinal deformity. So my recommendation as a summarization of the riser pad. They're only good if they're separate, left and right, and they gradually go thinner from front to back or back to front so the rails don't break. Did that make sense to you, Glennis? That makes sense. And once you've explained it, you know, you just think that a riser pad, I mean, they're fairly popular, you know, but the fact that the tree can twist and break is bad enough, but the damage to the horse and even just that tip with the two saddle cloths on a clipped horse, you know, everything you're saying, Johan, just makes so much sense. But you're not just saying it, you're explaining it because people are going to say things, but if you don't actually understand why, then it's like just water off a duck's back. But I think the depth that you go into, um, yeah, very good, <laughs> yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, water off the duck's back. I love that. You know what I always say? If you say something with enough conviction and you make it believable, people believe everything, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are explaining it so that yes, people actually, yes. hey, I get it, it. Mm. right? And that's, you have, you, uh, you heard me saying this a thousand times, the person knows the how will always follow the person knows the why. Yes. You know, yes. why do we not clip underneath the horse's uh, saddle support area? Why do we not clip under the horse, the saddle, the horse's hair? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. I understand there are certain jobs and certain professionals who need to clip underneath, but there's a solution. You know, so ladies who clip their, uh, not clip, <laughs> um, shave their legs, you know, and, and if the hair comes back and they would put a uh, very stiff material on like jeans mm-hmm. and the jeans stick to the legs, the hair of the leg, you know, that burns or that, that kind of is the stubble hurt. And that's mm-hmm. what people relate to. These tips are really good. Tell us now about the keyhole pads. Maybe um, explain keyhole pads to people that don't understand them and then tell us the pros and the cons and the depth of knowledge that you've got about the keyhole pads. Yeah. So myself, I fell in love with horseback riding when I grew up in Buenos Aires. And then when we moved in the late 60s to Germany, um, I um, continued to ride in Germany. And then I became a master saddler after many years studying as an apprentice and as a journeyman, then into the master school. And then after that, I went to England. No matter when I went in Buenos Aires, Argentina, in Germany or in England, I never saw a keyhole pad until I came to North America. So in 86, I moved to North America. And I said, what is this thing? Oh, that's the keyhole pad. And the reason why they're called keyhole pad is because they look like an oversized key. Yeah. There's a big round end and then this long, narrow thing, what looks like the end of the key. Mm. So I says, what's that for? And everybody in North America, the, the jumping riders, they have these saddles they call close contact. And I says, what's a close contact saddle? Again, in England, we didn't have those saddles. In Germany, we don't have the saddles. I had to learn what a close contact style is when I came to North America in 86. 
what a close contact are is where you arrive and sit very close to the horse, has a very shallow tree, and no needles. As a rider myself, I understand, yeah, close contact is, yeah, that's good. You want to go close to the horse. But when I watched, Gladys, you wouldn't believe it. When I when you see these saddles girth up, there must have been more than anywhere from two to three, sometimes four additional pads. Now, though, you know, <laughs> you probably know the old story from the princess and the tea when she lays on all these mattresses and she always feels the tea. That's right. So yes. that's why <laughs> I visualized in front of me and said, oh my God, these people are nuts. Because seriously, first of all, the whole saddle is super stable, but here's the bad part. This keyhole pad is meant to lift the back of the saddle up because the horse kept dropping the back. Why is the back going hollow and hollow and hollow and the rider falls off the back of the saddle? It was a complete misconstruction of these saddles because a saddle has a little bit of a bowl look, you know, that goes up in front, down in the middle, up in the back. So the rider has a pelvis. The pelvis has a kind of a support. So they made that ball very shallow, that tree very shallow. So while they were riding, people flying off the back of the saddle and the keyhole pad got invented. So they lift only the back. So because the, with all these pads, these close contact saddles had, they needed to secure the pad somehow. So they, the, the front part of the keyhole pad, they got jammed into the gullet. So now all this spinal clearance, I just talked briefly about it, completely gone, completely gone. It's kind of like you, you make a saddle from left to right all wool or all stuffing. There's no spinal clearance. So now it was a, a, a disaster in the making because now we have additional pressure on the spine and the back dropped and dropped and dropped. And Glenis, this is why they rode with three to four pads, right? Because they, they, they had this so-called close contact saddle, but the horses were holding up so much the back. That the poor rider had all these pillows underneath the saddle. I'm sorry that I'm laughing, but it was the most ridiculous thing I ever seen. And eventually, you don't see them anymore. You, I haven't seen them for a long, long time. But that's a keyhole pad. So people who sort of in my age or fifties and older, they probably remember those. And these keyhole pads, um, our idea was to lift the back. But it backfired because the entire channel was jammed with this. And of course, because it only lifts the back, they also completely twist the tree and break the tree because the side rail, like I just explained on the riser pad, mm. didn't support at all. Yeah. So it was an, an unbelievable, crazy thing. So yeah. I'm glad to see them gone <laughs> because they're not good for the horse or the rider or the or, or the, the saddle. I always wondered about the, you know, why there was this long bit, you know, that obviously kept it on, but no spinal clearance. It didn't make sense to me. Yeah, so I'm glad you've explained that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. What about the leather pads? Are they any good? You know, you sort of think leather close to the horse's skin. Is it good, not good? So when I started my profession seven, eight, that's so 42 years ago, one of my jobs was to make for a large, large company, we were uh, uh, over 120 saddlers, and in that the company in Germany, and they had one order for a retailer to make saddle leather pads. Yep. Leather saddle pads. And as a rider myself, I have heard about them, but I've never seen it. But through your apprenticeship, you learn all the different type of glue, thread, linen, but 90% we have to know about leather. So leather saddle pads, are tanned when the cow skin gets um, comes from the um, auction to the tannery. The tannery then places the different skins in piles and decides, okay, this is for car industry, this is for upholstery leather, this is for harness, and this is for saddles, saddles, etc. So the tannery selects this. So for the harness and for the saddle pads, that was a special way of tanning. And what they did was 100% veg tanning. In other words, when the tanneries make upholstery leather, there's a lot of chemicals in the process of making it, or car leather. 
Okay, but for anything what is directly on the horse's body, such as the harness or a leather pad, that's a hundred percent vegetable canned leather, and it has a massive high ingredient of grease. As a saddler, it was great working with this because your hands didn't crack all the time because these chemicals are not good for us. And it was beautiful to to work with this leather because it was butter soft. But it was super strong, what it has to be for harness and what it has to be um, for leathers. So for this leather saddle pad, which was 100% covered, this is meant to sit directly uh, between the saddle and the horse. Why? Because you can take the leather pad and you can hose it off with the hose, can make it completely wet and wash the sweat off much faster than taking the saddle and hose the saddle because underneath the leather is the wool flocking and you didn't want to make the wool all wet. So the leather pad was acting as a saddle pad and and some veterinarians, when they're cut, when they're cut a large piece out of their skin, and it's a high competitive horse, and that horse has to be somehow kept ridden and and get uh, and the, the wound is slowly healing, but 100%. They put that special leather on it. It's a, they call it chamois. It's very thin. It's very soft, and it's kind of like a leather saddle pad, but as thin as a piece of t-shirt, mm-hmm. like super soft. And it's kind of a second skin on top of the other skin. So think about it. Cow skin and human skin are very similar. So it's the horse skin. It has 60% water, right? So after it's tanned, this leather pad, and human skin and horse skin and cow skin, over 90% is water on our skin. So if you think about it, a human skin is 8 millimeters thick, a horse skin is only five millimeters thick. So with the special leather pad, it's kind of what I was explaining with the uh, veterinarians. They put in another piece of skin on that sort of raw skin. You understand? Like a yes, bandage. Yes. Yep. So leather pads are really, really good, but really, really expensive. Mm. And they're kind of vanished out of the industry because people are not going to pay so much money for and it doesn't look good. It stinks. Uh, it takes too much time to clean, and you know. So it's it's definitely the best for the horse, but it's not good marketing. Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. They'll make a lot of profit in the retail, and the consumer doesn't want to clean it very nicely and doesn't like the smell. And uh, okay. yeah, so it it vanished too. But you understand what I mean with yes. the protection, an extra layer of skin, like a band-aid. Yeah. yeah. What about the Navajo pads, the Indian pads? Okay, so a Navajo pad, it's, um, i got to go sidestep a little bit. Sure. Every English saddle mm-hmm. has a panel, and that panel is used to be stuffed with horsehair and deer hair. Some countries, they still do that, mm-hmm. or husk or straw. But most companies switch to wool, a wool flocking. The cheaper saddle take foam or rubber panels. In general, the panel on an inner saddle is what is the cushioning from the tree to the horse. On a western saddle, is the, the tree, there is no cushioning. There's a sheepskin stitched to the tree, but you've got to have a panel. And that panel is called a Navajo pad. So... In Western riding, a good Navajo pad, and Navajo is an Indian word for a certain design, and this particular pad is 100% cotton, and um, it's a pad what goes under Western riders. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this Navajo pad because some people put a Navajo pad under an English saddle. Yep. That is the craziest thing, really bad. It's kind of like you have four tires on the car, the tires being the panel of the saddle, right? So you, you yep. only need four tires. Mm-hmm. So now you say, let me put another set of tires on my normal car. <laughs> you can only put four car t- tires on. 
So you all of a sudden put another set of tires over the tires you already have. In other words, you put two panels underneath an English tree, and we have the whole fiasco again. The tree is too narrow. You're pinching the spine. The balance is off. You're sitting miles off the horse. And Navajo pad is strictly, strictly meant for the Western battles, never mm-hmm. for the English, mm-hmm. because otherwise you have the problems as I just mentioned. So I'm glad we talked about that. Yes, yes, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available. And the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. The sheepskin pads, they've been sort of fairly traditional for a long time. Are they good, not good? Tell us a little bit about them. Okay, so the sheepskin pads, um, over my many years, uh, I took, uh, when I traveled still the world, I um done a lot of studies, and I came across Professor Christian Payham. He is uh, one of the leading scientists when it comes to uh, tack, anywhere from reins, the rain tension. They have devices where you can measure how much pressure you have on the horse's mouth, anywhere from saddle pressure. And he also did uh, a quite comprehensive study on saddle pads. And they find out in Vienna that the sheepskin is the second best pad in the world. But if you use it wrong, you really cause some massive problems. So let me explain that. So first of all, with all the studies they've done, the number one was deer skin. So deer skin, that is by far the best. That is unbelievably expensive and really fine and hard to maintain. So that's number one. If you find deer skin and make that into a saddle pad, that's the best. And you think with all the extra, extra all these huge deer population, I don't know how it's in Australia, but in North America, the wolves are pretty much gone and there is an abundance on deer. With all the extra deer, you wonder why the industry hasn't picked up on that. But anyway, the question is sheepskin. So the sheepskin is by far after the the deer skin, the second best pads you can get. Let me explain why. All the Western saddle put on the bottom of the saddle, sheepskin. All the manufacturers who put sheepskin on a pad, let's say you have a big square pad, the sheepskin is always to the bottom of the horse. Why? Because you have that sheepskin hair on the horse's hair, and the two hairs, they lay on top of each other, and they move back and forth gently, so the hair doesn't break. The must this through this movement, hair against hair, you get kind of a gentle massage. It creates good circulation, and because get this, because of the good circulation, the body, the the part underneath the back, sweats much better, and we sweat as humans and animals sweat to cool their system. So if sheepskin goes directly on the horse's skin, hair, mm-hmm. the horse is sweat very good, and the area is cool. The second you put something in between, right? the second you put something in between, most of the time not 100% cotton or a pad, you get the opposite reaction. Let me explain. The endurance rider, the long-distance rider, they get tested after so many miles. And one of the tests is if the horse's back is sore or overheated. If you put the sheepskin directly to the horse, 
99% of the horses are fine. If you put a, another pad between the horse's back and the sheepskin, 99% of all horses get pulled to do this because the back overheats. Now you created an oven. Okay? Yes. So there is no manufacturing in the world who ever put the sheepskin on top of the pad because they know that. So the manufacturers always put the sheepskin on the bottom, but the consumer gets these half saddle pads with sheepskin and put it between the saddle pad and the saddle and says, look at me. <laughs> I'm cool. I got this cool sheepskin pad. Look at me. And they follow the crowd and they all put in these nice little fluffy on to look cool. But they don't yes. know how much yes. damage they really do to the horse. Yeah. Now, the pad industry has become very smart about it. They put the sheepskin on the bottom and they put a little rim yes. on the back of the pad. So the pad, um, the sheepskin is on the horse's back, and that little rim of fuzzy is shown on the candle. So they still have that cool look. But <laughs> some people say, I don't care about the cool look. I just don't clean it so much. Because mm. cleaning a sheepskin all the time, the stink, the sweat, they don't last that long. They're expensive. Yep. 110%. They're absolutely right. It doesn't last. But it's not good for the horse. So if, in general, with all pads, if you have an English saddle and the saddle fits well, all what you need is just like underwear or socks, something thin, what fits the shape, what is easy to wash in the wash machine, and you can quick turn over. Okay? Yeah. The thinner, the less, the better. Mm -hmm. If you use special pads like we're discussing right now, then you got to use it the way it's designed and tested and researched. Sheepskin got to be on the horse's hair. Anything between overheats. If you don't wash them, if you don't want to wash them much, then don't use a sheepskin. Yep. But don't yep. put a yep. pad in between. Yep. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. They are hard work. So, so I think if you have trouble and you want to use sheepskin pads, you might want to have a couple. You know, so while one's drying, you've got another one that you can use. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, it's I, I get it. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, it is expensive, and um, if you can't, if you can avoid it, good. Mm. But if mm. you just have it to be cool, get something different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just too expensive to be cool. But if you need it, then yeah. please put it between the horse. And mm. The mm. Yeah. But what about the filler or shin pads? If you can explain what and then talk about them. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, sometimes, you know, you, you've heard me saying this uh, uh, numerous times, and I'm not anymore the lonely soldier in front. There's numerous. Uh, people talk about saddle fitting, and I'm so glad that my curriculum, my online course, which is uh, saddlefitacademy.com, this is now online available worldwide, and we do this now in many, many different universities. But beside my course, there's other universities and other professionals, like I've explained already, Christian Payham and people in England, Sue Dyson. I mean, the list goes on for over a half a dozen of uh, professionals and, and professors who look at this, and they always, always will say, buy a shoe what fits, and don't buy extra socks to make the shoe fit. Mm. People mm. understand that, yep. right? If you have to buy a suit, buy a suit what fits. Don't buy extra underwear and underpads and undershirts to make the suit fit. But sometimes, if I go to a saddle, Sometimes I buy a saddle, it fits, and my saddle fitter can come. Or sometimes I'm in between horses on, and I need to use shims to balance the saddle better. And they're like anything else, they have the good part and the bad part. After I'm explained like this, I hope people really, really don't make the mistake again and do it the wrong way. I'm going to give you an analogy first. People sometimes have very bad ankles, knees or hips, or back pain, and they go and get orthotics. And these orthotics are, come in different shapes, and they get put into the shoe that helps these people with their ankle, knee, hip, or back problem. Now, if you mix those orthotics up and automatically, or by mistake, put the right one in the left shoe, it feels so weird and your pain is quadrupled. And if the orthotics slip in the shoe, 
because you put them into flip-flop, open-toe shoes, and you stand just a little bit beside where it's supposed to give your foot the support, again, your problem quadruples, and mm. it's super painful when you step on the edge. So what has that to do with saddle pads and shins? People take quite a bit care, and they really, really get... There's so many good articles and so many good advice. When my horse's mane is to the right, why is my horse knocking the fence on the left front leg and the right hind leg? When my horse's mane splits, what does that mean? Where do I have to shim? When I fall to the left, why do I have to shim on the right side and not on the left? Not on the, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. There, it's a very yeah. good way of shimming a pad. So people really get in this to get the balance front to back, left to right, or if a horse is asymmetric or has some issues. People really take a lot of care. But here's the problem. They put it in the shim pads, they put it on the saddle, they girth up the saddle, and now they're right. Oh, my God, what just happened? The horse's back change. There's walk, trot, canter, there's different changes, and everything starts moving, and the shim pad starts moving like an orthotic in the shoe. And now they quadruple the problem what they had. Mm-hmm. My advice to shim pad. Do not use them at all, or make sure that the shim pad is glued to the saddle, either with double-sided carpet or get Velcro stretched on. Velcro, you can get the double-sided Velcro glued to the gullet, to the center. Do not let the pad move. When the pad does not move, when the orthotic does move in the closed shoe, then it's good. Mm-hmm. But if the saddle pad with the shims is not attached to the saddle, and I mean really attached, it will move the second you start moving with, with the horse. So important. Just writing that down because, you know, you think glue sort of a, a very permanent thing, but the Velcro for the saddle. Yeah, or double-sided tape, so easy. Yeah, yeah makes a lot of sense, and it's still going to stay there. Now, the next one we've got here, Johan, is gel pads. Now, some people... If they've never seen a gel pad, they're not real sure. So if you can explain the gel mm-hmm. pad first, that'd be great. Okay. All right. So first of all, um, the real gel pad was invented for the medical field. The gel is made out of seaweed into a gooey stuff. And when a person had a super difficult surgery on the elbow and it needed to be rested somewhere, or for people who have like um, a chronic uh, patient that has bad sores, they make these little tiny squares of gel. So when the arm or the leg or the back was resting down, this gel seaweed kept moving and it stimulated circulation rather than cut off the circulation. So then somebody says, wow, this is cool. This is to make a saddle pad out of this. But... That tiny little square, four by four inches, cost over $800. So then it says, well, maybe we can, chemistry can come up with making the same gooey feel, but it didn't get you this stimulation. So think about a, not kids' Play Doh. Play Doh is maybe a little bit too um, firm, but there's stuff what uh, kids play these days with a, it's called slimy or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it feels the same way. Yes. So, so think about that texture in a plastic, stretchy kind of a pad. So the gel pad works really good, really good if it doesn't bulk up. And if it sits in the cotton saddle pad, left and right side, no contact over the spine. And absolutely a lot of room for the spinal clearance. Here's the problem. They're a little bit pricey that way. So they said, rather than making two pads, one for the left side, one for the right side, why don't we make just one? So make this big square piece, 10 inches by 17 inches, and just slap it on top of the back. Now, no athlete would rub themselves in plastic and would go and do the sport because your body now has no chance to sweat because you're wrapped in plastic. So heat rises. The amount of 
the burn blisters, horse skin under these solid gel pads is insane. But what is even worse than overheating the back is if you ever have an elastic band around your fingertip, you are not going to have that on while you ride. That elastic band hurts so much. So I challenge everybody who rides with a gel pad, what is 10 inches by 17 inches, and you just slap it on top of the horse, you have to have elastic band around your 10 fingertips because what that, that solid gel pad does, it pulls the largest organ, the skin, super tight over the highest point on the horse's skeleton. It's not the pole, it's the withers. And it puts massive strain on the wither skin over the spinal processes. And that blister will come when you take the pad off after riding. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen those little water blisters after when I take my saddle off. Well, when you touch it, the horse didn't flinch. And after 20 minutes, they went away. If you see them, you're lucky. But most of the time, the liquid trickles down in the hole of the vertebrae, and that is where, when that goes in there, spondylosis, and then they say, oh, the horse is wobbly. Oh, does the horse have EPM? Oh, does the horse have kissing spine? Uh, does you see a wobbler? You know, do not put an elastic band around your fingertips. Do not put a solid gel pad over the horse's back. What put massive pressure on the spinal process, the skin creates blisters and overheats the back. Really, really good if you have two separate gel pieces, not thicker, not thicker than a quarter of an inch on the left side and the right side in a cotton pad where they sit in to not decrease the channel. Super important. Mm. I like the way you think about the, you know, put a rubber band on your fingers. People get it, you know. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. And horses are just so forgiving, you know. Oh. They tell us just by the, the way that they might dip their back or step to the side or the look in their eye, but they're not telling us in English. So a lot of the time we don't we don't look for it. And we've got to look for those things so that yeah. the horse can actually tell us if there's something going wrong. I think this is a bit of an education for people who are using any of these pads that they should actually look to see if the horse is happy in the pad and, you know, good chance that if you have a look a little bit yeah. closer, now that you've got that extra depth of understanding, you might decide that the saddle pad you're using may not be the best one. In England, yep. she has probably the most papers written about that problem and she just published another one a year ago, this Instagram. And that Instagram is the language of horses, so they speak in pain. I mean, Suda was one of my students in England when I did Saddle for Life there. And um, she's an incredible, just like your show, your your podcast, or what you're trying to do. You know, people just don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, just because a horse doesn't say, Awa, yeah. you know, oh, my horse's skin is really burned, then... I, I like to quote my dad, who was the physics and math teacher, says, you know, people learn the best through pain and fear. Mm-hmm. And when I give you a relation, if, if I, the person says, oh, I don't care about the horse, if he survives or not, it's not mine, I just rent him, I just borrow, I just train him. And I, I'm embarrassed to say this, Glennis, but there's some people who have no compassion for horses. Yeah. But then there's yeah. the most of us People who listen to you and me, they are compassionate about. And they just don't know what they don't know. Exactly. Exactly. I think that most people are genuinely trying to do the right thing. They genuinely yes. want to do it. Yes. But if yes. they don't know that what they're doing exactly. is wrong, they don't know. They've got to, yeah, just learn and just know, be open-minded mm-hmm. and listen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so easy when you're here, right? And like you said that so many times when you and I talk, you said mm. to me, Makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. tell us about memory foam pads. Um, also, my um, one of my favorite pads. We use them quite a bit in the saddlery, either in the knee pads, in the saddle itself, in the in the seat foam, and sometimes uh, people make saddle pads out of that. Um, just be aware. It's just certain 
areas, you don't want any pressure. And just like I said, people remember or learn through pain and fear. So think about how much pain you would get in your foot while you walk, in your back, in your leg, if you get an insole in your shoe what has memory foam. So when you step on top, the first momentum you go, oh my God, is that nice. But then the memory foam goes between your toes, between the ball of the foot, to the end of the toe, everywhere, everywhere. So all your foot, everything is filled out. Anywhere your foot goes, it has foam squished between the toes, in the garb, in, your, in, in, in the gap, in the arc. So now when you walk, your joints and your foot and your toes cannot, cannot roll up properly. So what you do, you're going to get tighter and tighter and tighter and you cramp up in your calf and you strain your tendons and ligaments. That's just physiology anatomy. And in riding, if I take a foam pad and I have a memory foam pad and I put that foam pad on, it's great if it really just touches where the saddle's supposed to touch the back. Here comes again, Glenna. Left and right side of the spine. Uh-huh. What yes. do most okay. do? Okay. Yes. Squish down on the spine. They're pinching the spinal nerves. Oh, it's really simple. If you just put the pads, whatever you have, away from the spine, they're all good. But some of them, so be aware when you buy a foam memory foam pad, good idea. So long they don't go and squish in the channel. They don't take away the space in the with the cup. That's where the shoulder needs to come through, and they don't pinch on the spine where 12 spinal nerves come out on the side. Mm. So if, if you have a memory foam pad left and right in a separate compartment, beautiful. If you have a memory foam pad that goes all the way around, throw it in the garbage or cut it in half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, a felt pad. We haven't sort of talked about a felt pad yet. So if you could just explain the felt pad, um, I suppose if people... You know, people would know, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, talk to us about the felt pads. So you probably noticed that I always give you an advantage and disadvantage, and the reason why I do it is because um, they all have a purpose. Yeah. But when I use something like if I use the screwdriver to hammer in a nail, a tool screwdriver is useless. You understand my analogy? Yes. Yep. So a felt pad. If it's there, what is it, it does it definitely doesn't help like a cloth numna or like a cotton pad. It doesn't help like because it's rigid in itself. So what's the purpose of a felt pad? Ah, to maybe lift the whole saddle up. Not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But most of the time a felt pad is anywhere from a quarter of an inch to a half an inch, three quarters. I have seen those felt pads as thick as one and a half inches. Now, I want you to visualize how the saddle looks in the front. So in other words, the saddle hangs in front of you on the saddle, on the chair, on the back of the chair. You're looking at the front, you see the pommel, and then on the left side is the panel, what goes down from the top to the bottom, and on the right side. So that I call it the Vertical panels. Do you follow me? Yes. Those go along the shoulders. Can you visualize that? Yes. Now, where those panels end on the top, where they end, that's the size where the width is. So from left to right, let's say it's 20 centimeter wide. When you put a pad underneath, what is one inch thick, two and a half centimeter, okay? You're putting one on the left side, two and a half centimeter, one on the right side. You just make your saddle tree with five centimeter narrow. Now, Glennis, I can adjust the saddle by half a centimeter in the tree width or 1.5 centimeter, and I can make that horse bite you when you're girth or stick the tongue out while you ride by just making an adjustment from less than two centimeter. Now, when you have a saddle and you put that big felt pad underneath, half an inch, one inch, quarter an inch, you're messing with the tree width. Yep. Are you with me? Yep. Yep. In the back, when you look at the saddle in the back, the saddle is flat. There's a left panel in the back, the right panel in the back. In the back of the saddle sits on the 
area of the horse's back where the ribs are pretty flat, almost horizontal. They have a 12 degree drop. That's the supporting area. So you lift the saddle in the back by one inch. In the front, you lift the saddle by two inch. So felt pads are really bad. When you have a good fitting saddle and you put a felt pad underneath, you completely mess up the fit of the saddle. If you have a saddle, but it's way too wide in the, in the tree width, you need to make that narrow. Then it's actually good. So long it's, it's not synthetic felt. It's wool felt. Wool felt will, with the steam of the horse, take beautiful the shape. Downside, you've got to use a little grease to clean that pad. The sweat got to come out and the hair got to be brushed out. I remember we had all different felt pads. In Western, we have a lot of felt pads. And to keep those buggers clean, it's sometimes a little trickier. So I like them because they take the shape nicely, so long as they have a nice wither clearance in the get-go. I don't like them because they decrease the tree width tremendously. Mm-hmm. So if your doesn't fit, not a bad pad to have, as long as it has a nice wither relief. Many, many Western saddle tail pads don't have any. But more and more Western manufacturers who make felt pads make now felt pads with the wither built in. Why? Because more people use Western saddles on non-quarter horses, yeah. on horses with withers. Yes. So uh, in summary, felt pads are good. But remember what I said. They do decrease the tree width, and mm-hmm. there must be wool, not synthetic felt, right? Yep. They're, they're harder to clean, but they're nice when everything else fits, as I mentioned earlier. Sure, sure. The last one we've got, Johan, is the the thermoplastic pad. Can you explain those and then talk talk to us about those? Yeah, so I haven't seen those for the first 30 years in my professional, yeah, as a, as a master saddler mm-hmm. and in my entire riding career until I saw somebody in Sacramento, uh, sorry, in, in San Francisco, and he says, I'm having this plastic, what um, I can put on the horse's back. It's quite hot. So I, I make it super, it's, it's like a, Oh, how do I explain it? Like a cotton pad with a soaking wet, mm-hmm. right? So it's yep. very, very floppy. It, it drapes it over the horse's back. So when he can touch us with his hands without burning his hands, it's still very floppy. He takes it on the horse's back, and then there's two or three people who are trying to make sure the horse does not move. And then that thing becomes rock hard. So this pad, this thing what gets shaped over the horse's back, becomes like an armor. And then the cut sort of the axis off into the shape of the saddle. And it says, this is now the orthotic for this saddle and this horse. Because now if your saddle doesn't fit, this fits the horses perfectly. And whatever the saddle does on top, the horse won't feel it. So I don't know how people learn, learn to ride who listens to your show. But I learned from an old cavalry officer, and he taught me the most important seat, how you communicate to your horse is your seat, how you implement your seat, and how you shift your weight. It is not your spurs, it's not your hand, it's your seat. Mm-hmm. So how I communicate, how I'm going to tighten my core, how I shift my seat, then second comes my leg, and very to the end, after my voice, maybe the hand. So if I have a reinforced plastic authority plate between me and my horse, I just took away my communication to my animal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got this rigidity. Then most people have seen a horse's trot in slow motion. The back was up and down, up mm-hmm. and down. And they also have seen maybe on some cool shows or documentary when they've seen a herd gallop over the open field. The back rolls and canter, kind of like a caterpillar, but goes 
on 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 to its wake, right? So mm-hmm. first the back comes, then the haunches come underneath, and then that rolling motion goes out in front. Now it's almost impossible for the horse to do under those plastic orthotic yeah. plates. Yeah. Now I saw it only once in San Francisco, and I've never seen it again. I just wrote an article for a magazine. And they specifically asked me about it. So that's why I thought I should talk to you about this because that is probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Because, again, how am I going to be communicating to my horse? Mm. And this thing is so rigid. It's kind of like you have a rigid sole underneath the shoe. You got this beautiful shoe, and the whole bottom of the shoe is like a plastic thing. Mm -hmm. How is your foot? going to work on that thing you go like with strap with the board underneath your foot so the whole rolling motion i I compare a lot with feet because people walk all their life (laughs) so they get it when they have a shitty shoe on or shitty uh, you know then Mm -hmm. it doesn't work And, and people can relate to that as well i really really emphasis to everybody that Everything you do, so long you know the why, the how comes easy. And the pads we use today, they can really help sometimes. And I hope that this chat we have today, your listeners really take something away because there's some good use for them, so long you don't do it for the wrong purpose. Like I told you with the screwdriver and the hammer. The screwdriver is a great tool, as long as you don't try to drive a nail in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to remind everyone too that when we talk to Johan, Johan talks about his life as a master saddler. But what we don't realize, or you know, you would do if you'd heard all of his podcasts, is that Johan actually qualified for the 1984 European Championships for three day eventing. So he comes into this as a rider, you know, not just a, a weekend rider, but three-day eventing rider. And, you know, I've done a few three days and they're not something that you just go out for a bit of a picnic, you know, on the weekends. You've got to put some serious work <laughs> in just to get your horse fit enough to get to a three-day event, let alone all the competitive work that you've got to do to qualify for the three-day event. So um, Johan's come in with all this extra experience and, um you know, Master Sadler, and then he's been working for the last sort of 40-plus years with equine professionals around the world. So it's not that he's come in just with, you know, a few sort of I went down to the Sadler and and want to talk about these saddle costs, but he comes in with a really good, strong background to give us the depth of knowledge that we need for these types of talks. So, Johan, thank you for that. I think um, all of this is brilliant. And do you want to tell us about Saddle Fit for Life? My um, academy, SaddleFitForLifeAcademy.com, it's an online academy, which is also um, a university course. Veterinarians get veterinarian credit. Trainers who take the course get credit. Everybody who likes to learn about saddle pads we talked about, or to fit saddles, how to look after their own horse. Uh, We have a lot of experts, like Dr. Heuschmann on there as well, who have tremendously uh, helped us with the content. So please feel free to check us out on saddlefitforlifeacademy.com. And yes, as as I said, it's it's a pleasure um, to always talk to you, Dennis, because I'm so delighted to do this with you because it helps my mission to protect horse and rider from long-term damage. Yeah, well, it sort of helps our mission, you know, about the horse welfare and safety. So I think that things go hand in hand. And, you know, people can contact you through that website as well. That's right. Yeah, perfect. Johan, thank you. You know, every time you come on, you're just giving us more and more understanding about how important this saddle fit is. You know, it's not just a matter of, oh, my grandfather had a saddle, we'll just pop that on the horse. It's really, really important for the horse and for the rider to have the correct saddle fit, but, you know, everything else that goes with it. Today we've talked about most popular saddle pads, so there's been um, quite a lot of information there. So thank you, Johan, and um, we'll hopefully we'll catch up with you very soon. Same thing, Glenn. Thank okay. you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. 
And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.